Okay, so before we get started, let's read a letter. Remember, if you want to write, email me at editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Okay, this one is from Cammie, who writes all the way from Leeds, England. Dear Alex, I'm starting my own organic rock and roll jam company, and I'm having trouble coming up with original flavors that are named or have names inspired by musicians. You seem like a fast guy, Alex, so I thought I'd take a crack and put you on the spot to see if you could come up with three or four names on the air. Well, Cammy, first of all, I'm glad I seem like a fast guy to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that I am, but let me take a shot at naming some rock and roll jams for you, okay? Off the top of my head, here we go. <laughs> all right, this is going to be hard. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, what about uh, Chuck Boysenberry? Let's start there. Okay, Cammy. Uh, how about uh, the Mission Fig Jam? <laughs> um, Fiona Apple, Nina Cherry. How about those two? Those are low-hanging fruit. Pun intended, Cammy. What about Moby Grape, or better yet, Moby Grapefruit? <laughs> uh, Mary Blackberry. What about Tangerine Dream Jam? Uh, that's all I got. I got nothing more. Those are pretty good. Start with those. See if those sell. All right, Cammy, get those on the market, okay? If you need more, uh, drop me a line and I'll keep going. But right now, that's the best I can do. I think the uh, Nina Cherry is going to sell really well. Uh, all right. <laughs> you can always do the jam, jam, but uh, what flavor would that be? Everything would, everything would taste like, uh, I don't know, uh, skinny ties and malice. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. They say you should stay at home, but you don't care for the TV shows, so Jacqueline, you're invincible. Falling into the olden days, but you don't care for the old cliches, so Jacqueline, I know you know. But it's hard to make sense of the movie. of Circa Waves, which features my guest today on the program, Kieran Shadal. Let me tell you a little bit about Circa Waves and Kieran Shadal. Life is a tragedy when seen in close-up, Charlie Chaplin once said, but a comedy in long shot. Very true indeed. And not only that, you kind of need one to understand the other. Well, Circa Waves' new album, Sad Happy, does just that. 
and so in tune with how intertwined the two emotions are. The Liverpool outfit released their album in two parts at two different times. The happy side, well, that came in January, and the sad side arrives this month. That's right, you've got the sad to look forward to. But seriously, look at the drama masks of Talia, the muse of comedy, and the mask of Melpomene, the mask of tragedy. Two totally different masks, but always depicted in tandem. And those Circa Waves put out their two masks, or their two sides of their album, completely separately. Ultimately, they belong together. They're part of one big piece. Now, speaking of together, Circa Waves formed in 2013, and they're one of those bands that hit the ground running. Their debut record, Young Chasers, went straight to the top ten. They played Glastonbury and Tea in the Park. They toured with the Libertines, and they quickly cemented their reputation as one of the most exciting bands around. With two more albums quickly under their belts, 2017's Different Creatures and 2019's What's It Like Over There, Circa Waves have set a wicked pace that's only getting stronger. And Sad Happy is some strong work. From the spry pop of Move to San Francisco to the fiery bliss of Be Your Drug, Sad Happy is an album that's rich and catchy and dark and deeply, deeply moving. I love this record, I love this band, and I love talking to Kieran. So have a listen to our conversation. This is me and Kieran Shadal of Circa Waves, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Tell me why. Well, I have not. Um, I've not done a conference call into my computer before. I haven't either, and so here we. <laughs> oh really? Doing, yeah, but I think we're doing really well already. Up to now, I feel like we're, we're smashing it. We're doing. We're doing a good job. Yeah, we're doing a really good job. I wanted to talk to you about the Jenkins account. It feels like we're businessmen. Yeah, I do feel very business right now. <laughs> did, did you get my memo? My business channel. <laughs> I did, and uh, uh, I think you're doing a great job with all the accounts. <laughs> <laughs> are you uh, Are you in Liverpool right now? I'm in Liverpool. I, I live right. Um, I live right by Penny Lane, so I'm very cliche. <laughs> I was just reading an article about why the Liverpool football team is unstoppable. Oh, don't talk about. I support the the opposite team, Everton, which is the. Um, the other team in the city, you know, the better team of the city, really, but we just don't win as much. Um, that's the only problem. <laughs> this is the the um, an, an American who knows nothing about the way those things are divided. Um, that's, well, that's, it's, yeah, in, in, I mean, in like the, in the UK, sort of some cities can have like what between like one and three teams. It just depends on who's got more money or whatever. Yeah, and also it seems like there's like a real emotional component too with uh you know with the regionalism whereas in America people will have a favorite team that are thousands of miles away. Yeah, and and yeah, well we noticed as well like we would go to on tour like American like basketball games and there'd be someone there with like a Brooklyn Nets jersey on and like a New York Knicks hat on and we're like how can you that would just never fly in the in, in England, you know. Yeah, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't get home safely if that happened no. over there. No, you'd you'd be uh you'd be you'd be in trouble. 
<laughs> um, did you grow up a pretty big football fan? Not really, to be honest. But I don't really follow it too much, to be honest. It's one of those things. But like in Liverpool, it's very, you know, it's music and football. It's the Beatles and and Liverpool Football Club or Everton Football Club. So it's, it is very intrinsic to the sort of Liverpool lifestyle. When you grew up, were your parents supportive of you choosing the music option? Um, yeah, I think, well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, they let me live rent-free in the house till I was like 26. So I think that <laughs> means that they were cool with it. I think with a lot of parents on like music industry and stuff, it's kind of like, how do you make money off this? And like, are you actually going to be able to make a living? Um, but it's, but they weren't like, they never pushed me to go and do something that I didn't want to do. Um, but I think eventually they were kind of like, maybe, maybe you should try and like learn how to record music so you can, you know, get a job doing that if the band doesn't work out or whatever. Making a living in music is the path to that is not as clear as it used to be. Do you feel that way? Um, well, I, I think like the, I think the money has dried up in certainly like in a lot of the industry of like uh, you know like an a, like there's not as many there used to be tons of A and R men and stuff and I, I grew up thinking like I'd love to go and be an A and R man and like discover and find all these bands and stuff and um, but that role has kind of shrunk now it's more like you know social media anal uh, analysis um, which isn't doesn't really interest me as much um, but I do, I do I mean especially coming from like Liverpool is not many jobs you know you have to kind of be in london really to get into the industry yeah but you but you have to get out there and play live right like that is that is an enormous source of of a band's income now yeah definitely i mean like yeah to, to actually be able to kind of put food on the table um you need to be playing festivals and you know trying to get out there as much as possible but it's but it's also crazy expensive you know for us to try and go to america costs us an awful lot of money so it's a balance act, really, just to try and survive now as a band, really. How has the the, the sort of the coronavirus has that sort of put a uh, an interesting spin on travel for you guys? <laughs> yeah, it, feel, it feels really cool and risky now, and like you know, oh, I might, <laughs> might get the coronavirus. Well, we have to be fair; we've not um, we've not travelled that much since it's all kicked off. So I don't know. I mean, we're meant to be going uh, away around you know, America hopefully this summer and Europe towards the end of summer. So we'll see, man. I don't, I don't know. We might get like sort of told that we're not allowed to go to certain places. Um, but I try not to, uh, I try not to worry too much about deadly viruses. Right. <laughs> you have, you have music to play. You can't yeah. worry about that. You might come to America and, and like everybody's gone. That, that could happen. That's true. I mean, we're not that big in America anyway, so it wouldn't be a huge dint in our money sort of uh, savings. But I think um, it would be an issue for touring America if everyone was gone. The... <laughs> you know, I, I, for me as a native Californian, and I'm here in San Francisco, I, mm -hmm. any band that mentions California or San Francisco is automatically – uh, in my in my good book forever, and so um, you know, you guys have a song obviously that mentions San Francisco. Did you have a kind of romantic idea of California uh, growing up and what it might be like? And and if so, when you got here, did it match up? Um, well, I think yeah. I mean, like in the UK, certainly America has this uh, like Hollywood tinge to it, and everything seems perfect. And like we sort of. 
you know, in the UK, we grew up with like the OC and all that kind of stuff and, and all these television shows that, especially like California, just seems like this incredibly beautiful place where everyone's beautiful and it's always sunny and it's amazing. And um, I think like the, certainly we, we love San Francisco, and, but I think once we got there, we were surprised by the sort of, the huge amount of poverty that was still there and like, you know, these huge organizations next to these roads full of, uh, you know, homeless people sleeping in tents. And that was quite a big shock to the system. And I think it was more extreme than we'd imagined it would be. And for me growing up in the eighties and listening to echo and the Bunnymen and, and the laws. And I, I had this sort of idea of my romantic idea of, you know, putting on a trench coat and growing my hair over my <laughs> eyes and walking around England, writing poetry. <laughs> that was my thought and like just loads of hairspray and just just being really miserable all the time that's the northern england right that's that was my that was what i was striving for yeah well that i think you know rainy you know rainy city if it's a bit cold it just brings out the best music i mean look at manchester it rains there constantly and you get like the smiths and joy division from that so i think it's a good thing yeah, do you find that the way that you write will depend, I mean, lyrically on where you are? Probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think I end up always like writing like dream pop or something if I'm in somewhere really sunny. And then I'll write, <clears throat> I think like we'd come on, on our second record, we've come off tour from touring like America and it was all beautiful. And then I came back home and it was really like, it was winter, it was cold. You know, the heating wasn't working in my flat. And I wrote the whole second record's really it's a lot heavier and darker. Um, so I, I'm probably almost too influenced by my surroundings, I think. In terms of your, like, like in terms of subject matter, um, have you found that you've always been sort of grappling with the same kind of thematic issues? I, I mean, ultimately, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that um, it always ends up reverting back to like love or missing someone or feeling like you're not good enough for someone or you know just that kind of stuff and like well I, I do love Liverpool and I miss I miss it like quite a lot when I'm away so I write a lot of songs about sort of yearning and that kind of stuff yeah it makes you wonder if you ever get a handle on it like you know you're writing towards the center of something but the center keeps shifting yeah no that's a really good point I think um you kind of when you first start writing songs you think like oh I'm gonna run out of stuff to say eventually but you never really do because you are constantly, as you said, sort of moving around and it and your emotions are ever changing. I mean, I think maybe once you get to like, you know, your fifties and sixties and you've kind of you've seen everything, maybe that's when the writing starts to dry up. But currently I'm in a very sort of a good point. And do you find that you are as a writer, do you find that you're more economical now? In other words, you know how to pursue a, a good idea over a bad idea. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, I think, well, I use a lot of, um, <clears throat> I kind of just like record now. I saw it, I'll just record a bunch of ideas and then I'll kind of top line them like as if I was sort of like a D, like a sort of dance DJ or something. Um, and I find that that is like a really sort of refined way of, of doing it as opposed to just sitting there with an acoustic guitar and spending all day on like a, a chord progression. I'll just knock out like three or four ideas quickly and whatever i think is good i'll sort of work on a bit more yeah and the stuff that that you're feeling like well maybe that's not the the right direction to go do you just toss that i mean is that part of the process for you as well 
I've just got like my desktop is just full of like awful ideas, like the worst songs ever. (laughs) So it's just, it's just me kind of trying to figure out what the next sort of surf waves thing is. Um, So there's a lot of, yeah, there's stuff that I would, I would never dare to show anyone. But that makes me think that your internal editor is pretty sharp. Maybe. I don't know. I could have missed like one of the greatest songs of all time. I hope, I hope I'm sharp, but I mean, I think I've done it. I've been doing it this way for so long. Sort of, I've been making my own sort of tracks on my computer for like seven years now and and kind of deciding what goes through to other people that um, I hope that I have a clear idea of what's good and what's, you know, average. What about when something is, it's good, you know, it's good and, but you can't quite finish it and you have to sort of leave it until you can figure out what happens next. Does that drive you insane to know that you've got something that you know is strong, but you can't, you're not artistically, you're not there yet to finish. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time, to be honest. And I've, I've still got bits of verses from songs from like eight years ago, which I've never done like a chorus for. Uh, and I just, it still sticks in my mind. And, you know, the more frustrating thing is when you play a song acoustically and you think, oh my goodness, this is this is the best song I've ever written. And then you demo it and it's just, it's just terrible. And you're like, oh, what? How was I so off? I thought <laughs> that this was amazing. And so, so that is, that is the part which is, is, it's incredible how you can think that something is like the, you know, the perfect song and then you demo it and it turns out to, to be like just a part of shit. Um, and that happens quite a lot, to be honest. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, it's like a first date that went really well. And then the second date, you're like, what? How? This is awful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happens. You know, like I, I've actually had dates where I thought, oh, this is going to be the person. She is here we go. And then we meet up the second time and it's literally dead. And I can't explain why. And so I wonder for you when you're playing it acoustically and you're like, this is it. And then you, then you go a little more, like you're saying, flesh it out a bit and it, and it goes dead. What do you think actually happened? Or is there a way to even explain that? I, yeah, I really don't know. I, I can't, cause I've spoke to other songwriters about that as well. And like, it, it's you sort of your 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 songwriting compass kind of goes a little bit crazy for a minute, and I also think it, it can come from if you become like massively influenced. Can you still hear me? Yes. Sorry, my screen just went dead. Um, if you become massively influenced by somebody all of a sudden, and you write a song in that style, maybe you you'll be like, oh my god, this is incredible. I'm like I'm Bruce Springsteen. And I'm going to be the next Bruce Springsteen and I'll be famous around the world. Um, and then you record it and maybe you try and do it in the style of Bruce Springsteen. And it just sounds like not even like a B-side, like the worst sort of attempt at that thing. So sometimes when I wear my influences too much on my sleeve, I think a song is great. And then I record it and I'll be like, man, that's just, that's a lot of cheap tricks. And uh, I kind of then have to steer myself away. And then do you, just out of curiosity, do you then go back to check out that original version to see how you how you thought that was so good in the first place? Not really, no. I kind of move on. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of songs in the graveyard that will never will never exist again, or I just forget them, to be honest. What did uh, Joe Stormer call it? Wreckage in the ravine. <laughs> yeah, that's a much better way of saying it. Yeah, <laughs> stick stick with his quotes. Don't listen to me. <laughs> 
Oh, I like hearing that you that you pick songwriters' brains. That's the first time someone's actually told me that. Is that is that something that you do naturally, or are you like you're actually you know in terms of like a collaborative um, process thing? Like you know, talk to somebody who's doing the same job as you to get insight. Is that is that helpful? Um, well, I just love like talking about the ins and outs of it. Really, I've got so many books on songwriting, and I listen to a lot of podcasts on it, and. Um, if we're on tour, sometimes we'll tour and we'll be like in the same tour bus as, you know, like Tudor Cinema Club or Sundara Karma or we were on tour with a band called Boniface. And I'll, I'll always talk to the songwriter, you know, a little bit, you know, and be a bit kind of like, isn't this annoying when this happens and how do you do this? And and every songwriter is, re- is so similar. Like, you know, we all sit there with a the guitar and kind of go and hope that the melody is, you know, is strong enough and then sort of write lyrics on top of that melody and hope that the lyrics are good enough. And it, you discover that everyone's kind of the same, just at different places in the, you know, how good they've got. Is that a comforting thing to find out, well, we're all in this together and we're having the same struggles? Yeah, totally. I mean, but, but then you listen to like Noel Gallagher who'll be like, yeah, man, that's what I do. And then I wrote, don't look back in anger. And you're like, oh, well... I haven't, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's also the kind of thing where when someone goes, oh, I have no problems at all. I just sit down and write a song <laughs> in eight minutes and move right on. Yeah, I, well, I remember speaking to Yanis from Falls, and um, I was like, so do you write all the time to be able to, you know, churn out so many records? And he's like, not really, man. I just write for like two, three months before the album comes out, and that's it. And I'm like, what? I write it. I write every day and we're nowhere near as big as you. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you know, everyone everyone has a similar kind of process, but I also think that people's brains are either just like wired to do things quicker or wired to do them in a kind of more refined and better way. And I'm just kind of fumbling around in the dark, hoping to find a decent song. Yeah, and I like hearing that you're writing every day. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people who listen to this are, you know, young musicians. And I and I think it's good, it's very instructive to hear that for you, it's a daily practice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I, I definitely know that pe- there's a lot of people who don't do it every day and you can still be good. And I also think that some people like find it a little bit like they get blown out and there's too many songs and there's too much going on. But for me personally, because I write quite, quick short bursts i find that writing every day just helps me churn out as many ideas as possible um and as i said like there's a lot of there's a lot of terrible songs in there but the more i write it's kind of law of averages that eventually i'm going to come across like you know a good idea so for me i i I would definitely tell people to write every day um but i also think that you know there's a lot of great writers who don't do that so don't feel too much pressure if you're not you know, writing seven songs a day. <laughs> do you do you feel strange if you don't if you take a few days off, or, or do you just not even do that? I do. I do it more now because I've got I've just had a kid, so I've got like a five month year old kid, and, and obviously that um, becomes harder to find like a free hour to write music. Um, but then when I do go back to it after like three or four days, I feel quite like refreshed um, and. You know, it's probably something I should do more, really, but because I just love doing it, I end up writing most days. But when I take a few days off it, I definitely come back and and ideas come it's sort of almost quicker. How does it feel? First of all, by the way, congratulations on being a father. Oh, thank you. Nice one. How has that changed 
you artistically or obviously personally, um, but artistically, do you feel that there is your perspective has changed? I, yeah, I certainly I feel like I'm almost on a deadline a little bit more. Like I want I want to use up all my time really well because I, I want to be able to spend as much time with him as possible. And in terms of touring, I want to be able to like really get everything out of it that we possibly can to become a, a better and bigger band. Um, and in terms of like lyrically, I definitely think I kind of have been writing songs a bit more about the overarching feelings of like life and stuff and, you know, really a bit more like deeper stuff. Um, and that's probably just cause like, it's on my brain that I've got this five month year old kid and like, everyone's saying that the world is going to end in like, you know, 50 years. And I'm like, Oh my God, what? That's crazy. Uh, so the, there's a lot more things about, you know, mortality and, and all that kind of scary stuff. Yeah. Cause it, it, it shifts the way that you, that you think about the world because the world isn't just about you, right? It's about you being mm -hmm. responsible for somebody much smaller. He's much, he is much smaller than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it changes. You just your whole view becomes. It's strange because I used to go on tour and I'd really miss my girlfriend, and I'd be like, I miss her so much. I can't wait to see her. But now when I go on tour, I still miss my. Well, she's my wife now. I still miss her. But I've now I've got this thing which is actually like my my son, which is like my blood now. Like I've got this connection that I have to protect this thing to keep it alive, and that is such a strange feeling going like a thousand miles away from him which is everything that your like human animalistic body is telling you not to do so like going on tour now is such a different thing um and it's it's taken some time to try and sort of get used to that and i'm sure it'll take you know maybe it'll get easier or maybe it'll get harder as it gets older but it's certainly changed the way touring feels if nothing else i'm feeling zen it seems the world has gone to shit again So pack your bags, we're leaving soon Out of the selling flights to the pink moon You say your feet are cold, I guess we need to go Somewhere warm on the west coast You look at me with that familiar face You turn around and then you say
Are you more inclined now to say no to things that you might have said yes to 10 years ago? I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely just as like, as I get older, I, I certainly think that I, as, yeah, I really want everything to be worth it. Like I won't just do like, like you do you want to do a show in Poland for, for no reason. And you kind of like, you know, when you're 18, <laughs> you're like, yeah, man, I'll go there. Well, we're not getting paid. Don't worry about it. That's cool. Um, Whereas now I'm a bit like, well, I don't want the band to like lose money. I'd like the band to be able to afford to do it. And if it's going to make, if it's going to get us like, you know, a festival or on the radio in this place, then let's go and do it. But I definitely look at things in a bit more of a, a boring grown up way of like, is this going to make my band bigger? And if not, then I'm not going. It, it's interesting to hear you say that because it's almost like, you know, when you're young, you'll say yes to everything, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like Circle Waves is like it's it's business in terms of how you're going to provide for your family, which has grown. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's strange. And I, I still like have to you have to check yourself a little bit. Um, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, every now and again, just to not think about like the band as a business because it's kind of that's never how it is meant to be. And that's not why I started the band. Um, right. It, it just happens to be that I don't have to have a real job for now because my band is doing well enough. Um, and, and you can kind of get caught up in that a little bit and think about like, Ooh, how much are we getting paid for this festival? But in reality, when you started, all that you wanted to do was play on a stage in front of like 20,000 people. And that was the cool thing. So it, you have to kind of remind yourself of that a little bit as you get further into the career. Yeah, and I think a good model of that is like Pearl Jam because I think Pearl Jam has become a kind of you – know, you and I were joking about being businessmen. But that is a kind of – it's become an enterprise and a, and a really good enterprise. Yeah, or like Kiss where you could have like Kiss coffins. You could have Circuit coffins. <laughs> think, think of all the opportunities. Yeah, I I will not be happy until there are Circle Waves action figures. Oh man, that would be the dream. As long as it's making a lot of money, then you know what I mean. That's the dream. <laughs> you you know on on the new stuff, you're really doing something that I've <clears throat> always been interested in and grappling with, which is the intersection between comedy and tragedy, um, being happy and being sad. Um, which you know, in theater, those are on you know, those are part of the same mask, right? Tragedy mm-hmm. and comedy share the same mask. Um, tell me a little bit about your interest in that particular theme. Yeah, well, I think it's it's the, this sort of the business of being in like a band and like a band who gets to play to lots of people and all that stuff is is that you are ultimately you're on stage and you play into 5,000 people and your dopamine levels are through the roof and your serotonin and all that business and you've never been happier and then it's all finished and then you're back to a hotel room and all of your levels are sort of shot and they're gone and it's like, whoa. 
So you go from this ultimate joy to this kind of not necessarily sadness, but you're like, it, it feels like it's sadness because you've just been so elated. Um, and that, I find that part of touring like really difficult. And I think a lot of people do, a lot of musicians do. And there's that, um, that kind of feeling of sadness and happiness next, next to each other. I feel like is also quite common in the, in the world and like on social media. And you see like, as I was saying before, stuff about climate change right next to like a really funny video of like a goat jumping on a trampoline. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's this, it's this constant balance of these two things that live so dramatically close to each other. And really you need one to appreciate the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that people tend to get a little bit nervous when they feel sad, but but it's probably an emotion you should honor. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and and it is that thing of um, you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of thing. Like you need to, you know, the ultimately like if you have the lows, then the highs are going to feel a lot higher. Um, and I think like being an unsuccess, like I, we were all in bands that weren't successful for like ten years before Circle Waves, and we we did the circuit and and we played to no one and we and we did all that stuff and then when we got to be a certain level and we were playing in front of loads of people it was like oh my god this is incredible because we'd had those times that weren't so good when someone you meet someone and they say oh, i'm i'm happy all the time that's probably not normal i mean you shouldn't be happy all the time nor should you be sad all the time no that that person's on drugs who's right. happy all the time um <laughs> And they will eventually be sad. <laughs> Are you critical and hard on yourself um, in a way that, you know, that it sort of drives you to be better? Or have you always been hard on yourself or, or do you let yourself off the hook? Um, I, I would say I'm probably quite hard on myself, I think. Maybe I definitely over, I'm definitely like an overthinker. I'll, I don't sleep because I think about the sound of a snare drum on the record or like, the way a lyric sounds or like a mix or so I kind of I'm quite hard on myself in that sense that I the things that I need to be perfect probably don't actually matter too much you know to other people um and yeah I, I you know I, I think like with a lot of musicians and a lot of bands you're always looking above like the bands who are doing better than you or the artist that is doing bigger things and you're always like why aren't I doing that? I want my band to be doing that. That's like, but then, you know, in reality, there's a band who are below you who are looking at you doing the same thing, going like, why aren't you? You can never really appreciate where you're at. I think it's just the, unfor the unfortunate nature of like humans and always wanting more um, is that you're always looking, you know, sort of at people who are doing better than you. Um, so that that makes me a bit hard on myself, but I'm, I'm getting better at just like appreciating what I've got and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Are you a competitive guy? <clears throat> uh, yeah, definitely. I think like I've always, I've always been. When we started the band, I, I wanted to. I always used to say, and she was like, "I want to be as big as the Killers or the Kingsley, and I want to headline festivals." And um, and that's always been kind of in the back of my mind that I want us to be a really big band, you know. Yeah, I always feel like when when Morrissey sang that song, "We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful," I thought not a great <laughs> song, but certainly a very true sentiment. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, I th I, there's definitely a lot. There's people who I look at and go, "Like, I'm so happy that you're 
you're doing what you're doing, but I'm also like, oh man, but I wish I was you and I wish I was doing that. Like, um, it's just, it's just the way humans are built. But I think it's a part, it's just a section of like ambition is that, you know, the reason I'm so ambitious is because I look at those bands and I go, I want to be doing that. And that pushes me to do it because I can see it. It's similar to like the Beatles and the Beach Boys, like, you know, Paul McCartney looked at Brian Wilson and was like, I want to do that. And Brian Wilson looked at Paul McCartney and said, I want to do that. It's just that it's just a very, it's a thing that keeps repeating itself in music and in, in life. Which bands do you, do you hear and you go, God, how did they do that? That's, that is just miraculous. Like who out there is making music that really knocks you out? Um, there's a band, there's a band called Gang of Youths who I've yeah. recently uh, got into it. I think like lyrically, I'm just, he's like, that guy's like blowing me away. It's absolutely nuts. Um, and I only just discovered them. So I'm kind of enjoying like just being obsessed with them for, for a little while. Um, I've always loved like um, I like really simple stuff. Matt. Like I've always loved like Arctic Monkeys and the Maccabees, and um, I, I loved like the production of like Tame Impala. So I listen to that quite a lot, um, and then just I, I listen to just a lot of songwriting stuff. So still like Joni Mitchell and Carol King. Like I listen to Tapestry by Carol King at least like once a month. I'm just kind of go, how on earth did she write those songs? You know, um, <laughs> I know it's it's crazy. So I. There's, there's, there's so many talented people who I wish I could be as good as. <laughs> I mean, Tapestry is just a clinic, and it's just a songwriting clinic. It's ridiculous. And, like, she, like just this, this woman doing this thing just on her own at a piano and at a time where there's loads of, like, guys just looking at her, like, you can't do that. And she, and she just smashed it and, like became i think it sold like so many millions of, of records and she's like she's a huge inspiration for for all like the music that i try and create there's something about that she was just so in the pocket that it was and it you know it, it sounded like it was so easy for her i know it wasn't but it just she was just nailing it yeah i don't know what it was there was a, there was a period of time like sort of troubadoury time where there was just there's just a lot of like really sort of incredible songwriters whose whose records is to this day still really popular, and that is like nuts when you think about how long it's been now since like Tapestry and uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue and like James Taylor's Sweet Baby James. I can't remember the name of the album, um, but there's uh, they just made those songs uh, uh, such a long time ago, and the stand up you could listen to it this very moment and you'd be like still blown away by it, you know, more so than a lot of the other stuff that's on the radio now. It's interesting that you were really drawn to those particular songwriters. Um, you know, growing up where you grew up, the, the age that you grew up, um, that those were, were particularly resonant <clears throat> for you. How did you, how did you first get into those particular albums? I think it's just my parents. Like, they, they just listened to a lot of that stuff. Um, they were very much into like songwriter, songwritery kind of music. Um, loads of like random stuff as well, like old Irish music kind of. There's a woman called Mary Black who my mum used to play a lot of, which was not really popular apart from like, I think in Ireland and Liverpool. Um, I mean, I'm probably wrong there. She's probably hugely successful in a lot of places, but it wasn't like a international artist. 
And um, but they were never into like the traditional, you know, like kids grow up with like the Smiths and Bowie and and all that kind of stuff. It was very much like those songwriters and then like the Beatles and and the Beatles were kind of the only band that I grew up listening to as a kid uh, until like a little bit older in my life. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just interviewed Mary Black. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah like a couple of weeks ago. That's so bizarre, man. Wow. Yeah. And she was lovely. And you know, what's so funny is I was talking to her and I didn't even put it together, but there's a band called the Coronas. They're a huge band in Ireland and right. um, big pop band. And the singer has been on the show a couple of times and that's his mom. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so she's obviously more successful than I give her credit for. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She's sort of like the Barbara Streisand of Ireland. Yeah, well, you know, well, yeah, that's a that's a good title for her. I like that. But she was great. Um, now, for you, I'm I'm just kind of curious about as a collaborator. Do you find that you are an easy guy to collaborate with? Are you better than you've been? Like, where are you in in terms of that? Um, I'm I'm learning how to collaborate. I've not I've never really done it to be honest. In in all the bands I've been in. When I was younger, it was always like, you know, I'll bring a song in, you bring a song in. And then you sort of dictate what you think everybody should probably play. Um, and then the same with Circuit, really. I've always just done everything at home and demoed it. And then kind of we all do like a better, a slightly better version of what I've come up with by myself. Um, and then only recently I've started writing more with other people for, you know, different projects. And I'm learning how to kind of not just sort of bulldoze in there with my ideas and let someone come up with an idea and then me try and help them with it as opposed to just kind of take over the writing of the song, um, which I sometimes feel like I need to do, but I, I have to stop myself. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm not the greatest collaborator, but I'm working on it. Can you, can you take a note? Are you good at receiving criticism? Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Actually, my band members would probably say no. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm probably. It depends on the note, really. If if it's like, if you can shroud it in positivity, um, then I might take it better. But um, I, I'm quite. I get quite attached to my demos and stuff. So if someone doesn't like a part. I always kind of maybe fight for it a little bit harder than I should. Um, but usually I write quite good parts, so it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a way to avoid it. That's a way yeah. to avoid anything awkward is to just crush it. <laughs> yeah, which fortunately <laughs> I've been crushing it for a while now, to be honest. So. <laughs> yeah, But if someone says, hey, your hair looks great and uh, you look fantastic, well-rested, you're like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah the shit sandwich is a is a fine fine thing yeah exactly i know it's almost like when you're gonna break up with somebody you know hey you know this has been so much fun you're so much fun to be with uh but i have a couple of notes <laughs> yeah exactly i like my um as soon as my management calls me and like hey man that new song you sent her was great i'm like what are you about to ask me to do <laughs> like what's gonna happen now <laughs> Yeah, I want to talk to you about something, but before I do, did you ever know that you were the most handsome person I've ever talked to? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> and you know what? That would definitely work as well. I'd be like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would work for me, too, by the way. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, you were mentioning Gang of Youths, and one thing I love about that band is it seems like there's nothing in his heart that didn't go into the lyrics. I mean, it is like the most, you know, <clears throat> raw opening of vein um, lyrically. It's just all there. It almost feels so intensely personal um, that it's, you know, it, the intensity behind that is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel when you're writing that you are willing to go that far or do you all, do you purposely withhold uh, certain emotional elements? Um I certainly think with some songs, I mean, I'm definitely doing that more. There's some songs on this record which are more, are definitely like more raw than I've ever been. Um, but I have the tendency to write lyrics about like random things before myself. You know, like I'll always, I'll always make something up like a fictional scenario in a party and I'll imagine what's happening. And I'll sooner write a song about that than I will about like <clears throat> actually being you know, an upsetting scenario that I've been in. Um, But I, you know, when I listen to like Ganga Youth, that makes me like go like, man, I need to step my game up and like really kind of put myself out there a bit more. And I think it's the specificness of his lyrics, which I'm really attracted to. Um, And you can like, it's a, it's a very much a story and you can kind of envelop yourself in that and, I, I I have done that a bit on this record, but I know that on the next record, I want to try and try that out a bit more. Yeah, there's something where you can kind of encode the lyrics a bit so they're not as personal. But with him, I know his wife had cancer and he'd been through mm. all these things. And and for those of the people who don't know him, this guy is sort of like Bono and Chris Cornell and Michael Hutchins all kind of wrapped into one. <laughs> and he's very handsome. He is. Yeah, he's, he's he is. I know. I, I hate him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he is really an incredible uh, guy. But um, yeah, because I always feel because I'm a writer, and I always feel um, like I don't. I never wanted to put things like my family into my work, or um, I always tried to sort of shy away. As a matter of fact, I found that when I started writing about other people, um, even though you're really writing about yourself. I found that it was a lot easier for me. I felt that it was almost too emotionally on the nose to sort of mm. um, write about certain things. So, you know, encoding things or mythologizing things is sort of a way of sneaking that in. Yeah, I think that I, 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 what you said about it be, becoming easier to write when it's like, when it's a real emotion, it's amazing how quickly a lyric can kind of come together and how how quickly a song can actually form if it's about like a real emotion or... Or a real person. Um, I think there's quite there's a skill in in doing that, um, I, um, and I don't know whether I've ever achieved that. But as this, uh, you know, you can. I almost like to just sing a melody and then let the lyric happen, and then kind of write a song that's loosely got a meaning. But then, kind of years later, I'll figure out what I was actually going on about. Like this. Like the first record that we did, I never really thought about the lyrics. I just wrote whatever came to my mind. And then looking back at the songs, I I can kind of put some meaning to them now, um, which at the time I didn't really do that. What I've always loved about your work is that there's something very familiar lyrically about the way that you write. There's something conversational and observational um, that work together in a way that... um, you know, it makes you feel there's a real intimate relationship with with how you write lyrics. It, it To me, it feels like um, 
you're not you're not sort of the, the filter that you use to let the lyrics come through. Um, you're almost willing to let anything in. And I always like that about your work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I've never really thought, I've never really thought too much about it or or tried to, I, I study so many writers, but I generally don't study my own writing. I just let it sort of happen. And um, I'm hoping that it's getting better all the time. Uh, and I just, I listen to a lot of, uh, people like Alex Turner and like Guy Garvey from Elbow and and that kind of visual. I always try and make stuff that's quite visual and um, and if I can achieve someone to sort of feel emotion from a song, then that I've kind of done my job, I guess. Were you uh, an Echo and the Bunnymen fan? I kind of got into them a bit, but I don't know them. I don't know them as much as I should, really. Um, they're one of those bands that I'm scared to get into because I'll just end up writing like 20 songs that sound exactly like Echo and the Bunnymen. <laughs> you know, like it, it, they've got such a distinct thing. And like, I know that I did the same with the Lars. Like, my old tour manager was like, Have you ever heard of the Lars? And I was like, I've heard of them, but I've never really. And he was like, Listen, there's only one record, listen to it. And I listened to it and I became obsessed with it. Yeah. And I literally, I, I wrote like 50 songs. And I, I think it was after the first Circus album and I came back with all these new songs. I was like, what do you think? And everyone's like, man, you sound like we're not a skiffle band. What are you doing? Um, so I, I had to like, I had to kind of put them to one side and go, oh yeah, that's not what we are. Um, and there's loads of bands like that. Like um, if I listen to too much of the National or the Walkman, I'll end up writing loads of like dreary piano songs. And so it's, it's a, I'm, I'm sort of influenced a bit too easily, you know? Yeah, it reminds me when you meet somebody who has a really strong personality and by the end of the day you're talking like them, you pick up their cases. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think, like, there's some people in this world, it tends to be a lot of artists, are, like, sort of chameleons and and they will adapt to their surroundings to kind of get along with somebody or or something. And it happens with music as well. Like, I kind of am so attracted to some bands and the way they sound that I just can't help myself when I'm recording or writing to to want to imitate it and it's a really it's a bad habit to get into and i have to sort of try and not do that as much as possible well you, you can blame me a year from now but here here's what i wrote down when i listened to the new stuff i wrote okay. down uh echo the bunnyman uh, ocean rain because it reminded me of the ocean rain record which i don't know okay, okay so you gotta listen to that and i also wrote down trash can sinatra's cake which is their their debut record um, okay you know that one the band Cake? Uh, no, the, the Trash Can Sinatra's album. It's called Cake. Um, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, they're a, they're a Scottish band, um, Trash Can Sinatra's, and it came out. I got it the same – I got that and the Laws record literally at the same, the same day back in like, you know, 91 or something. And anyway, so the new stuff reminded me of that first Trash Can Sinatra's album and – echoes uh ocean rain records so there's your assignment my friend okay. look at those records yeah and... well you know album five is going to sound exactly like both of those records now <laughs> so well done look what you've done yeah and then in the liner notes they'll say thanks alex green you <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> well i you know it's a, a pleasure to talk to you. You're a genial guy. I love your band. I, I've loved you from the start, and it's a real pleasure to get thank a chance you. to kind of break it down with you. I, thank you for for being willing to sort of dissect yourself. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think I've spoke this in depth about myself ever. So I feel 
I feel like I've shed some skin, so thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you for being willing to do it. Come back on the show, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to. And next time you go to San Francisco, I'll have to have a beer. I'll totally have a beer with that guy. I liked him. Kieran Shadal of Circa Waves. All things that are related to Circa Waves naturally will be found on the Circa Waves website, circawaves.com. Find out when they're coming to your town and uh, pre-order the music. Of course, the happy portion of the Sad Happy album is already out, and the sad part will be out in a couple of weeks. As for me, alexgreenonline.com will tell you all you need to know about what's happening in my creepy little world <laughs> that I built by myself in the dark with, uh, with, a, uh, with some sweat and some weirdness. But, uh, but go there, check it out, and uh, see what's happening. There is some news to report. Uh, it's big. I'm excited to tell you all about it, and uh, I'm almost there. I can almost tell you. I can still only tell you that there is news to be told, but I can't tell you what the news is yet. But trust me, the lap dance is over very soon because it is a kind of an audio lap dance, isn't it? This, uh, this big, long tease. But it'll be worth it. I promise. Okay? All right. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. So go to the one that you use, find us, rate us, and uh, tell all your friends about us. And that's all we're asking. You know, a nice comment or two goes a long way in these digital times. So if you have a minute... Maybe, uh, you know, leave a sentence about what this program means to you. Now, if you want to drop me a line, please do so. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Let's close the show with another new song from Circa Waves. Uh, this is Call Your Name. I just realized that I'm only playing songs from the Happy Album and nothing from the sad album. <laughs> I wonder what I'm running from. All right, here's Call Your Name by Circa Waves. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. In this city.